Romans. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 4 verses 9 through 17. You all know how he started the first few chapters of Romans. It was heavy on the depravity uh, and the light uh, and light sort of on God's redeeming work. It was heavy on who we are prior to Christ. There was evidences of who we are in Christ, but it was heavy on that who we are prior to Christ. But over the last few weeks, we have, we've taken a shift, um, and we have sort of begun to look at um, a theological view of the inner workings of salvation. Uh, we will see more of this over the next few weeks, and, and honestly, I kind of let you know last week in my introduction that theology is important because theology is the basis of what we all believe. And if we don't have a, thought, a strong theological background, um, I believe we are more susceptible. Not only do we need to have that as a group, like I just mentioned, we need to have it as individuals because I believe we are susceptible to, to fall for things that will maybe not take us away from the faith, but that can take us off this path that we are pursuing. So theology, although it may not seem practical, it is the basis for every practical work that we do as believers. So we want to learn these inner workings of justification, inner workings of sanctification, what glorification is, and on and on and on. And so last week we specifically saw, and in more detail, how Abraham was justified. Last week, and we'll look at it again this week, Abraham was justified through faith. It was not that he was perfect or desirable. It was that God called him out. And God justified him. But just like everyone else, or just like Abraham, God has called everyone else out based on no merit of their own, based on nothing good in them that was seen as desirable or honorable or worthy of a calling. What we find is that Abraham responded to the calling of God by being a man of faith. God called him and he asked him to go out to a land that was not his own, that he had never been, to leave his homeland. And even though Abraham himself never dwelled in that land, never inherited that land, he went by faith. He believed that God would keep his promise to make a great nation through his offspring. And his and Sarah's faith was counted to them as righteousness. Even though they were past the age of childbearing, God gave them a son. When the Lord told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he trusted the Lord to either protect Isaac or raise him from the dead. And so Abraham put forth Isaac as a sacrifice. And we all know how that story ended. The Lord, the Lord intervened. He had a substitutionary sacrifice caught in the thicket. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the offspring that was the promised heir to a great nation because he trusted that the Lord would be faithful to his word. Faith then, like Abraham, is trusting in the Lord in all and every circumstance. As a result, we see this pattern as a result of Abraham's faith. We see this pattern that we are to follow. Abraham is 
sort of the archetype of faith. He is the, he is the pattern to follow of what genuine faith should look like, of what justification should produce in a person. Today I want to look at another aspect of Abraham's justification and see how he was justified, not just by faith, but he was justified by faith's good friend, grace. Look at Romans 4, starting in verse 9. Will you read along with me today? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? This is a good question. It's going to be the first, it's going to be the question that lines up our first thought today. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Pray with me this morning. Lord, help us to have an open mind and a humble heart that we may receive your word, that we may digest it in our hearts and apply it to our lives. Help your word ring true in us. Lord, even if your word seems contrary to what we have known or have thought or believed, Lord, would you teach us, would you humble us, would you help us to use what we have to lift each other up and to bring disciples, to make disciples into the kingdom of God. We love you, we praise you, we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. If you understand at all how salvation works, then it will not surprise you to know that all people everywhere who have ever been saved are saved by grace through faith. What is less common is the knowledge and the idea that we discussed last week and or a few weeks ago, and we'll discuss a little bit again today, that even those before Jesus came to this earth, were, those people were also saved 
by grace through faith. Can I tell you, friends, that even the people before Abraham were saved by grace through faith. We discussed that we discussed that some, I think, before we got into chapter 4. But salvation by grace through faith is not a new thing. It was not a new thing at the time of Jesus. Jesus, though, was the definitive mark in time to explain, to objectively say, this is how all men and women, boys and girls, will be saved forever. Jesus, it wasn't new. Jesus wasn't offering a new thing. He was confirming what had already been true for centuries. We know this. You know this. The world, everyone doesn't know this, but you know this. So to answer any objections or questions that still exist, Paul goes into further detail because this is a very new concept to the Jewish people. Especially the Jewish people who had laid heavily into the law. Heavily into circumcision. So to answer objections or questions that still exist, Paul goes into further detail as to how Abraham <coughs> was saved. And in the first part of Abraham, uh, uh, chapter 4, we see that Abraham was justified by faith. Now we see, in addition to that, faith's friend grace comes into the picture. Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham was also justified by grace. What this should lead us to understand is that when we are discussing justification, that grace and faith are always in partnership. Just as the law and works are in partnership. And in our justification, the law and faith and works and grace never team together to justify a person. They team together sometimes in different ways, but never to justify a person. If it were about works and faith, then the works would nullify grace, therefore nullifying the promise. That's what Paul says in verse 14. Look at verse 14 of Romans 4. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If it were about works and faith or works and grace, it would nullify the promise that the work was about God in us. That the work was about faith. The promise to Abraham that is mentioned over and over again by Paul in Romans in Genesis 15 uh, and, and other places, multiple places, that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That he would be made a great nation through that faith. The truth is, and what Paul is saying is that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that Abraham is an example of how faith and grace meet to save everyone ever. Everyone before Abraham, everyone in the time of Abraham, everyone in Jesus' time, everyone after Jesus' time, until Christ returns. Abraham is an example of how grace and faith team up to justify mankind. So what I want us to do is I want us to look a little further then, and we will see what Paul says about Abraham's justification by grace. So I have two points I want you to look at, and then some sort of sub-points under those. The first is this. Abraham was justified by grace and not in ordinances and rites. R-I-T-E-S, like ceremonial rights, not like my rights and privileges. R-I-T-E-S. 
Paul brings up an interesting question here that he answered, but he is asking it again because he really wants to clear up the misunderstanding of the Jewish audience and even those sort of proponents of becoming a Christian and then following Jewish traditions. Up until Jesus... The way that you showed that you believed in the one true God by faith was by being circumcised and and joining this sort of outlier group of the Jewish faith. Here's how it worked. You were either a Jew who lived by faith and you were justified, or you were a convert who never really received sort of, you were never really received into the family. You were sort of like the crazy uncle. You were invited to the events. You were invited to the party. But when, you, when, it, took, when it came time for you to claim that person to the world, you were, you were kind of like, the Jewish people were kind of standoffish. So you were either a Jewish person <coughs> who was circumcised and in the faith, or you were an outlier, still circumcised, still keeping the ordinances, but never really fully a part of the family. And over time, the earthly leaders had made extraneous regulations and rules to follow, and for some had esteemed even these rules and regulations over what God has said about faith and what faith does in a person. They held circumcision in the highest regards. You've heard, it say, you've heard me say before that it was believed in Jewish writing, um, even today, that no man who was circumcised would see hell. Therefore, circumcision trumped everything. It trumped lifestyle. It trumped faith or lack thereof. This is why you see Jesus talk about the cleansing of the inside as opposed to just the cleansing of the outside. Or he talks about the circumcision of the heart. Because they had written and established so many rules and regulations that they had made the importance on following the rules and regulations as opposed to what was going on on the inside. As opposed to what we see in the heart of mankind. So Paul tells the Pharisees, you think you do good. You wash the cup on the outside, but the inside is filthy. And we see, you think that you are doing well by circumcising physically. But what Christ asks, what God the Father asks, is that your heart is circumcised. So he asks, Paul asks, If this blessing of justification, is this blessing of justification for the circumcised only or for the uncircumcised also? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn turn your Bible to Genesis 17, 23. And this is why it's always important to have a copy of a Bible or... um, or at least an app because I'm not putting it up on the screen. Turn your Bible to Genesis 17, 23. Paul answered this question by pointing back to Genesis 15, chapter 15, and Genesis chapter 17 with a discussion on how Abraham was justified. Remember, the question is, is faith, is justification for the circumcised only or is it for the uncircumcised? And this is how Paul answers the question. Genesis 17, verse 23. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. And God had said to him, Abraham, uh, as God had said to him, excuse me, Abraham was 99 years old. Man, that's a thought right there. When he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. I want you to look at a few things that are absent there. Justification, righteousness, grace, faith, 
Look, remember those. Now turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, just a few pages over and look at verse 5. Genesis 15, starting in verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Here is the promise. So your offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand, the sand grains on the seashore. And, and he, that's Abraham, believed the Lord, and the Lord, he, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Of course, we know that the, this is how we get the answer to Paul's question. Paul says, is it the circumcised or the uncircumcised? Or is it both? Here's the answer to Paul's question. You may not have ever noticed this. You may not have seen this or you may already know this. But friends, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 tell us one important thing about justification. And that is this. Abraham, as the first, so to speak, the prototype and the archetype of our justification was justified before he was circumcised. Ishmael was 13 before Abraham was circumcised. Abraham was justified in Genesis chapter 15 before Ishmael was born. Genesis chapter 15 is the lead up to the promise of a great nation. Isaac and Ishmael were not born. And then 13 years later, Abraham was circumcised. Which if you look at the Jewish faith, they would probably look at Abraham's scenario if they didn't know the, if they didn't know the name of Abraham and they said, you, you, you looked at the Jewish faith, you presented this scenario to them and you said, hey, there's a man. I'm not going to tell you his name. He um, had a, a, an experience with the Lord and then 13 years later he was circumcised. The Jewish people at the time would probably say, he's not justified until he was circumcised. But yet Abraham... 13 years before he's circumcised, he's brought into this covenantal family through circumcision. It's instituted as practice for the next generations. <coughs> he's justified. There are two things that we can gather from this, two very, very important things that we can gather by Abraham being circumcised after he was justified. The first is this, uh, and this is sort of extra uh, in, in, in the context of, of, of what we're talking about, but I think it's important. He was not justified by keeping the law or ordinances. He was not justified by keeping the law or ordinances. Firstly, the law did not exist at the time of Abraham's justification. The promise of Genesis 15 was given 430 years before the law was given to Moses. <coughs> the Bible says that Abraham believed... And it was counted unto him as righteousness. Not that Abraham obeyed. Not that Abraham. Not that the Lord saw something good in Abraham and it was counted into righteousness. But Abraham believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Paul says that Abraham's circumcision then was a sign of the seal of the righteousness that was already in him. Circumcision connected him physically to the family of God. But it has shown something, it was showing also something that was in his heart that only God could do. Of course, this was not a righteousness of his own, but it was counted to him or filled, like we talked about, filled in his account. 
because of the goodness of God. It is taking an empty account, it is taking a full account, and it is taking out of that full account and filling it in to the empty account. Do you remember Abraham's past? He was not chosen because he was the best. Abraham was a Gentile and an idolater. But in God's divine providence, he chose Abraham. Not only that, if the, not only that though, if the law did anything for Abraham, it accused him more than anything. If the law is to be kept as a means of salvation, then Abraham and everyone before him and everyone <coughs> up until Moses didn't have much of a chance. It would be like shooting in the dark if the law was necessary for justification. What was Abraham supposed to do? Yes, the law was on his heart, given by God, but he didn't have any objective law to follow. Abraham would just be going around like crazy, trying to figure out what God expected of him. He didn't have a law to follow. Abraham was not justified by the law. The obedience we see from Abraham comes because he was justified by faith and through grace. But not only that, friends, the law not only, not only points out the sinners, but the law incites to sin. You don't believe me? Think about this. Have you ever seen a light switch that says, do not turn off? Have you ever seen a button that says, do not push? A door that says, do not enter. Now, you may obey those laws. You may obey those rules and not push, not flick, not enter. But you know you want to. As a matter of fact, you didn't know you want to. You didn't know you wanted to until it told you not to. You tell your kids not to do something, and they're like, honestly, I didn't even think about that until you told me not to. So thank you for giving me extra motivation. The law not only teaches us, it not only uh, points out the sinners, it incites to sin. It is why we can only keep God's commands if we live by faith and are saved by grace. He was not chosen because he kept the law. He was not justified because he kept the law. He was not sealed because he kept the law. He was sealed because of his faith. His faith has been the example then of what we should follow throughout our lives, what every man, woman, and child would live by. Something else I want you to think about and see from this, and it's of utmost importance Abraham was not justified by the law. He was not justified by ceremonial rites, R-I-T-E-S. He was not justified by ceremonial rites. Abraham was justified 13 years plus before he was ever circumcised. The Jewish people had their line of thinking wrong. They believed that the circumcision was the hinge point of Abraham's faith. But the hinge point of Abraham's faith was the quickening of the heart of Abraham to faith by God. The justification through Christ that we know now was he was justified through Christ and the imputed righteousness of God through Christ that was upon him. Abraham was not saved by a religious right. Can I warn you of something? Neither are we. 
I want to point out two false teachings of churches, and then I want to get back to us. The Catholic Church baptizes infants. So does the Presbyterian Church, but it's completely different. You can make a case for what the Presbyterian Church does. You cannot make a church for the, uh, case for what the Catholic Church does. The Catholic Church believes, and it's written in their doctrine, that the sins of the infants are taken away at christening, that they are justified in that moment. This is in the Catholic doctrine, and this is true... Um, This is true of their belief of justification as a work. There are other sacraments that they do that have the same value, like confession or penance. All of these practices are ceremonial rites that will not justify man. There's another church that has it wrong, and that is a traditional church of Christ view. And you need to hear this, because not many people will say it. And it's recorded, so it's here. The church of Christ, in a traditional church of Christ view, is a heretical church and is cultic at the least, or at the greatest. A traditional church of Christ doctrine teaches that not only must you be baptized to be saved, but you must be baptized and active only in the church of Christ church unless you are to be saved, or if you want to be saved. Friends, this is a false teaching. I was speaking with a Church of Christ man and sharing the gospel with him. And this is what, this is the scenario I laid out for him. I said, suppose one day I decide to turn of my sins and repent of my sins and ask God for forgiveness. And I want, I know that I need to be saved. So I pray to God that he would forgive me. I commit my life to him that day. And I get in my car, this is at home, I get in my car, and I'm on my way to a church building or to a lake to meet a friend, whatever, and I'm going to be baptized. And I die before I get there to be baptized. What happens to me? Your response would be, I'm with God. His response, you're going to hell. Because the work, the right, is as important in their mind as the actual faith, as the actual redemptive work of Christ. This, friends, is not true. It is an abomination. It is heretical. The rites, the baptismal waters, will not save. Jesus emphasized this over and over again. It is not the water that washes us clean, but it is the Spirit That's the water that is mentioned in the Bible. It is the Spirit that washes us clean. The act of baptism, then, is a ceremonial rite. It is a seal or a sign to say, this is what the Lord has done in the heart of this person. But it isn't just the Catholic Church, and it isn't just the churches of Christ that have it wrong. Friends, you need to know this. Partaking of communion regularly will not save you. Communion is a ceremonial rite. It is an act that shows the inworking of Christ in your life. (coughs) Holding on to a prayer that you saved as a child, being dunked in a baptismal water, will not save you. And you know what's more scary? We have a lot of believers and a lot of churches and maybe some in this congregation today that are holding on to a moment of seemingly faithfulness to Christ where they seemingly walked with the Lord but have since abandoned that. Friends, you want to know what? Past faithfulness is, can be a ceremonial rite and will not save you.
We hold moments in the past as a standard for what salvation and Christianity should look like. But this isn't how justification works. The Lord holds our pursuit of his righteousness as the standard. Abraham believed. It was Abraham's faith that led him to obedience, that compounded into goodness, that compounded into faithfulness. as the standard of how he was justified. Friends, we can only be faithful to God when we are people who are quickened by the Spirit of God, who live by faith in Christ. Not our past actions, not something that was done for us, not something that was done to us, unless it is the work of God through Christ and his imputed righteousness in the power of the Spirit of God. Not a right Not an action, not an ordinance, not a sacrament. And we hold on to those sacraments. So this is why I'm emphasizing this. We hold on to those things as important because they are. But they do not trump the active work that must be present in the life of every believer. Friends, you need to hear this. If we are not progressing over time in our faith, then we are not of the faith. That is simple and true. Now, there are moments where we might falter. There are moments where we stumble, where tragedy and trials and and things like that get in our way. But friends, the life of a believer will be marked by more triumph in the faith than it will be marked by backsliding. Or there is no faith. Not a moment in time can save you. Every moment of time that we live by faith is proved is proof that we are in Christ. Friends, the only thing that has ever saved mankind since the beginning is the quickened the quicken heart from the dead by the Holy Spirit as, and then to be given the free gift of faith and to faithfully walk in faith as we are made more like Jesus Christ. It is when it is then that only the righteousness of Christ is satisfactory, is appeasing, is the propitiation. So what was the point of circumcision? What was the point of Paul pointing out the order of these things? Look at verse 11 of Romans 4. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The the purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness must be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had had before he was circumcised. I am not saying this as a joke but in the past and even right now I look at that verse and circumcision or a word is mentioned like 50 times and I'm just lost. So I I hope if this is the case for you, I want to help you because I'll just get lost in the, I don't have the attention span to see a word 15 times in a text and, and understand it. So maybe I'm going to help you from this. There are two reasons that Paul mentioned this, and it's drastically important. The first is this. The sacraments are a sign of faith. They're a proof of faith. They're a seal of faith. The sacraments are a sign or a seal or a proof of faith and a righteous life. 
But this other thing is very important. The reason Paul goes round about, about mentioning he was circumcised for this, he was not for this, it was after this, it was then, this is why. The timing of this sacrament of circumcision was to make sure that we know that Abraham is the father of the Jews and the Gentiles. God justified Abraham before he was circumcised to show the world that Abraham was not only the father of the Jews, but that in the future and through Jesus, Abraham would be the father of the world. And so now through Jesus, we don't have half access to the father. We don't have half access to the kingdom. We have full access and Abraham is the first proof that this was the way God intended for it to be. That time between Abraham's justification and his circumcision is a time where he lived like us, a non-Jew, a non-Jew. And it was a, it was a signal or a sign that salvation was for all who would believe like Abraham by faith. I want to I just close next 10 minutes, okay? with this last important point. Abraham was justified then by grace and not works. Abraham was justified by grace and not works. For For Abraham and those who were justified before him and after him, it was this cohesive work of faith and grace that justified him and them and us before God. We know all about grace and faith, and we can even recite several verses. I could, I could ask you, and you could all recite at least one verse, it'd probably be the same one, about saving, about how we're saved by grace through faith. But there are more than just one. But we know them, and we understand them. But we must understand the relationship on a theological level in order to treasure it on a personal and spiritual level. So why is it important that we know that Abraham was justified by grace and that, by, and that grace and faith are this team? I have three things that I want to leave you with that will help us to understand the importance of the emphasis on justification through Grace. Paul emphasizes, Paul has an emphasis of grace over works, and it is given to us to explain three things. It is given to us as a proof of justification through faith. As a proof of justification through faith. Now, you may think I'm repeating myself, and in a sense I am a little bit, but there's a little bit more to it. Simply stated, you need to know this if our faith is about works, at all then even obedience or accepting acceptance of the calling of God is not a gift of grace but an act of human will do you understand that you want me to repeat it so the people in the back can hear it if let me read it so i can get it right if our faith is about works at all then our obedience or or our acceptance of the calling of God is not a gift of grace, but an act of human will or volition. If it is not a gift of grace, then faith is not an act of faith, but human will. 
Here's what we need to know. There are a lot of people that balk at Calvinism, but also say they believe in justification by faith. I would assert this to be true. It is impossible to assert man's role in any way in salvation and still hold to a view that we are justified by grace through faith. Because if man plays a role at all, then it is not a free gift anymore, but it is wages earned. Do you understand? If man plays a role at all in his own justification, it is not grace, which is a free gift of God. It is wages earned for his role. And if it's not of grace, but by a work, even if that work is obedience, even if that work is receiving the calling of God, then it cannot be by faith. Because if it is done by works, then faith is not the key component. Faith and grace go together. Faith and grace are inseparable. Works and grace are separable. The only way we work to follow God is because we have the Holy Spirit who has quickened us, that's wakened our heart, that's given us breath and life. He has, ar- he has risen us from the dead. He has given us faith to believe. He has given us the grace to follow Him. And then we are able to live like Him. Then, and only then, are we justified. If grace involved any work it would not be grace it would be wages earned for our role in salvation if there is any obedience any volition of man then it is not grace it is an act of human will and not faith next paul's grace over works teaching about Abraham is given to us. The next reason it's given to us is as an example of every person's justification. Not only as proof of justification through faith, but as an example of how everyone everywhere that has ever lived would be justified. This text is not just to show how Abraham was justified. It's not just to show how the Jewish people would be saved, but that just like Abraham, every person ever would be justified by faith and more specifically by faith in Christ alone. I can confidently assert to this to you, friends, from what I know of the Scriptures. And I don't know all of the Scriptures, but I know enough of the Scriptures to confidently assert this to you. If Abraham wasn't justified by the law, then no one is. If Abraham wasn't justified by faithfulness or desirable character traits, then no one is. If Abraham wasn't justified by religious rites or lineage, then no one is. If Abraham wasn't justified by sacraments, not church history, not being the first member of a church or an elder or a deacon or a regular attender or dunked in the baptismal waters, if Abraham was not justified by those things, then, friend, no one is. Through Abraham, God laid out a pattern of salvation that has been followed by everyone who has ever believed on some level. And it's this. The Lord, through the Spirit of God, awakens the heart, the dead heart, the carcass of man. Man then, in his awakened state, follows up with belief. Belief then, after we believe, it turns into obedience. And then over time, obedience is compounded. It's added on to each other. It's stacked on to each other. And obedience, as it's compounded, is then known as faithfulness, and then death, and then eternal life. And that is how you can be content and satisfied with living in this earth, and nothing less. And nothing more. Quicken the heart of man. Faith. Obedience. 
Obedience as it's stacked upon each other is faithfulness to God and then death. And we have lived the life that God prescribed us to live. On some level, friends, this is the pattern that every believer everywhere will face. And as proof of this, (coughs) Paul points out one more thing of Abraham's grace over works. This grace over works teaching is given to us as proof of God's sovereignty and salvation. As if I hadn't pointed it out already, this grace over works teaching about Abraham is given to us as proof of God's sovereignty and salvation. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 is ridiculous. God, and we're just starting in Romans too. We are just working up a lather as to how God's salvation actually works and is all about him. Look at verse 17. As it is, as it is written... I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, listen, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Friends, Abraham was a dead man walking before God intervened. No God worship, no creation worship could save Abraham. Paul later calls the state in Ephesians, he calls the state of Abraham and everyone ever, he calls them dead in their trespasses and sin. The God in whom he believed, that God who gives life to the dead and calls calls into existence the things that do not exist. Friends, I want to tell you, The only way that the Bible prescribes that a dead man comes to life is through the work of the Spirit of God in his life, and that alone. Who calls a non-faith or a wrong faith, and he changes it into faithfulness. Only the Spirit of God. So how does this help us to know that God is sovereign, that he works out these things for us, that he raises the dead man to life, that he quickens us, that he makes us alive in him, that it is by grace and faith and not about works because even a work nullifies grace. And if, if the works nullify grace, then faith is nullified because of works. How does it help us? There's three things that you got to take these home and you got to remember them for the rest of your life. Remember them for the rest of your life. You must come all the way to God as proof of genuine faith. You have to hear me. Easy believism, walk in the aisle faith, praying a prayer and being dunked, these things have hurt the real truth, and that is this. God never half saves anyone. He never half saves anyone. Every person ever that has been saved has been given the full portion of God. You right now, Christian, if you live in here and you're living in defeat, that's on you. Because in your life, in your existence, you have been given everything that you need that pertains to godliness. Everything that you need to follow God. Everything that you need to compound obedience that ends up in faithfulness. Now, again, I know that we have moments and times where we go through things and... It's a lot harder to see that. It's a lot harder to draw on that. But it doesn't mean it's not there. Because God never half saves anybody. He never partially saves anybody. And this full salvation, us committing, us diving head in, is proof that Jesus lives in us and that we are people 
of faith. The other thing that you need to hear, and this is true, this is, this is so true, and I've been so wrong on this, and I need, I need to confess to you that I've been so wrong. Hold out hope. Hold out hope. I've been so wrong. I write people off so easily, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I write people off so easily, and I give up on people. But that is not what Christ did. Christ pursues. He pursues until healing is found. He pursues and he doesn't give up. And me as a Christian, I'm like, well, you know, if they're not going to want it, then why do I want it? Why do I want it for them if they're not going to want it? Christ pursues and he doesn't give up. Hold out hope, friends. As long as there is breath in your family members, as long as there is breath in those people that you love, there is hope that Christ can do a, a redeeming work in them. You need to hear this because it's real for some of you today. As long as Christ lives in you, there is hope in your marriage. There is hope in friendships. There is even hope in dead relationships. But don't give up. Don't dare give up because if Christ lives in you and the work is all about Him, then there is hope to hold on to. The other thing that I see is true is it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. If the work is all about Christ, He can and will still redeem you. Paul and Abraham are the perfect examples of people who should have never been saved. Abraham was a moon, polytheistic moon worshiper. He should have never been saved. Paul killed Christians and he thought he was doing the work of the Lord. He should have never been saved. But when God chooses to redeem, it doesn't matter where you've been or where you are or where you think you're going. He will snatch you up on the road to Damascus. He will pull you out of Ur of the Chaldees and he will save you and redeem you and make you new and more like him. You must come all the way. You must hold out hope. And you must understand that there is no one on this earth who is unredeemable if Christ is the Redeemer. Pray with me. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. And you have redeemed us. And the work is about you. Lord, would you help us to trust in you? Would you help us to know that everything we bring before you is nothing compared to what you've done for us? Not only just the work at the cross, but the work of redemption since the fall of mankind. You have been working that out in the lives of, of Adam and Eve and Seth and Abraham and Noah and David. You've been working it out in um, the, the prophets. You've been working it out in John the Baptist and you worked it out in uh, Peter and Matthew and you worked it out in Paul and you worked it out in the first century church and you worked it out through the persecution. You've worked it out in today's church. You've worked it out in me and you've worked it out in these people in this room today. What a beautiful story of God's unending, unfailing, never forgetting us love. Help us to never lose that Help us to hold on to that more than we hold on to anything else in this world. Lord, teach us to love you 
and to love others. Let us to know how to do those things because you first loved us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.